Hi, I'm Perry, and you're listening to The Beauty Brains. Hello and welcome to The Beauty Brains, a show where real cosmetic chemists answer your beauty product questions and give you an insider's look at the cosmetic industry. This is episode 283. I'm your host, Perry Romanowski, and today I'm doing a solo show. Uh, It's just been a couple of weeks since our last show, and I wanted to get you a new show out. Valerie is a bit under the weather, so rather than skip a whole week, I just figured I could do a solo show. And since you have lots of questions, uh, there is plenty of material for us, me to cover. Now, I really do appreciate everyone who listens to this show, and I especially appreciate people who send in questions. Uh, you know, honestly, it's really helpful as a cosmetic formulator to know the types of questions that uh, people out there who use beauty products have. So I thank you for that. And incidentally, if you have a question, you can feel free to record it on your cell phone or portable phone and email that to thebeautybrains at gmail.com. That's one way that we you can get your voice on the show. So on today's show... Uh, The questions that we're going to cover were sent in, uh, and there are a number of them, including how to find an affordable alternative to expensive facial washes, what ingredients can really penetrate skin, which glycolic acid product is better to buy, uh, one from The Ordinary or Paula's Choice. And I'm also going to cover an opinion on herbal-infused facial oils. Uh, but first, of course, as we always do, a little chit-chat. I always enjoy the end of the year as I have to scramble to finish as many of my uh, goals from 2021 as I can. And then, of course, come up with new goals for 2022. I'm very goal-focused, and uh, this time of the year just reminds me of the goal so much. Goodreads tells me I've got to finish uh, six more books to get to my 70-book red goal for this year. I, I read a some that I enjoyed very much, Ulysses, A Tree Grows in Brooklyn, a number of, number of really good books. And uh, I also read some beauty books too, like skincare books, uh, probably three of those. So I, you know, I keep abreast on what's going on in beauty products too. So I, I wonder if anybody out there in beauty brains land is an avid reader also. Uh, let me know it somehow through our social media stuff. Also, you know, Valerie isn't here, so that makes a bit of a different kind of show for me, at least this chit-chat part. So I know a few people might be curious about Porch Kitty, because people, I've mentioned Porch Kitty before, this stray cat who lives in the alley, comes behind and gets food from me. I have to say, the Porch Kitty is acting a little funny. We went on vacation in October, so I was gone a couple of weeks, and she didn't get her daily food. I mean, I left food out for her, but usually she would come every morning and I'd give her like a little can of cat food and she would sit and eat it by me and then run away. She never let me touch her, but she would let me get close. And then I came back. She just didn't come back, come back around. I, you know, I thought maybe something happened to her You know, living in the alley in Chicago. <laughs> you can imagine it's not going to be an easy life for a cat. So, or maybe she hit the road or something. But then one night I was coming home and Porch Kitty was back in my yard and I fed her, and she got as close to me as she's ever gotten. And this was probably after not seeing her for a month or so. So I thought maybe she would just start coming back, and we'd slip back into our old routine. But alas, uh, she just seems to be afraid of me now. Um, she only comes out at night, and then when she does see me, she just runs away. So 
I don't really know what happened. Oh, well, I guess I'll just have to earn her trust again. These outdoor feral cats, <laughs> they're challenging. Or, you know, maybe I should just break down and adopt one of the cats from the shelter that I volunteer at. Anyway, that's uh, what's keeping me occupied these days. All right, enough of that chit-chat. Let's get on to some of your questions. First question comes to us from Ariel. Ariel says, really simple question, what's an affordable alternative to Arbonne's Calm Face Lotion and Cleanser? Well, thanks for that question. Uh, She had actually sent in the ingredient list and so this ingredient list, uh, daily cleanser list, so the, the, the way when somebody asks about, you know, what's an alternative product to use, one of the first things that I'm going to have to do is look at the ingredient lists. And I encourage you to do this. Usually if the first four or five ingredients are the same, you know, you can expect that the products on a blinded basis are going to perform probably about the same, or at least in any kind of way that you might notice. So that's a good guide right there. However, you know, you look at ingredient lists, there's a ton of ingredients. Now, their daily cleanser, uh, first ingredient is water, which you expect for uh, a surfactant-based cleanser. Then they have uh, squalane, glycerin, dimethicone, shea butter. Uh, Then there's just a ton of these other oils in there, uh, Japanese green tea extracts, flower extracts, fruit extracts, all these extracts are, you know, these are all just marketing ingredients. They actually aren't really doing anything. In truth, I'm looking at this formula. It looks a lot more like a moisturizer uh, than a cleanser. So, you know, it's certainly not going to be a high foaming cleanser. Uh, The only surfactant type things that are in here that are going to you know, help in removing things are the uh, glycerol stearate citrate emulsifier. It might help to remove oils. In truth, this looks like an more like an oil cleanser where you're going to put it on your face over the makeup. It's going to loosen that and then you're going to either wipe it off or probably better use another type of water-based cleanser to remove that. So if anything, I don't really see any foaming with this thing. Um, the main ingredients that are going to have the effect of working this product are the water, the squalane, and glycerin. Dimethicone and some of those oils might actually affect how it feels. But as far as this, the cleanser part of this, um, you know, you're probably not going to notice the, all those other ingredients. Now, I was going to say a suitable substitute would be the ordinary squalane cleanser, which is only seven bucks. But then I looked at it; and it's seven dollars for a one ounce product, and the Arbonne product is uh, twenty four dollars for five ounces. So, in that case, you know, the comparison, uh, the Arbonne is the better deal. So, uh, so I had to look a little farther. Uh, if you're looking for a substitute for this uh, Arbonne. Calm uh, Face Lotion and Cleanser. You might try the Boots Ingredients Squalane Cleanser, which is only $6 for 1.7 ounces. And so that's probably a little bit better deal than the uh, than the Arbonne product. Yeah, let's see. That'd be, you know, that's only going to be like $15 for the same amount. So, yeah. So I'd expect those products to work the same. So if you're looking for a substitute for Arbonne, 
Calm Face Lotion and Cleanser. Try out the Boots Ingredients Squalane Cleanser, which I saw was available at Target, uh, or you could probably find it online. Now, I will say, when you're looking for a substitute product, I look for price. You know, to me, that's uh, all things being equal, and all things aren't equal, but all things being equal, if you were testing a formula on a blinded basis, price is, um, you know, I would go for what's the least expensive product. But we know that price is not the only driver of what makes people like products and things. And so you might like the packaging of something, you might like the fragrance of something. But as far as things working, I think that Boots Ingredients Squalane Cleanser is will work in a way that you won't notice a difference from the Arvo. Now you might notice a difference, there might be subtle stuff. So this is the kind of thing you just have to try. Our next question comes to us from Karen. Karen says, hi, thanks for a great show from a follower in Iceland. Iceland, always a country I've wanted to go to. Have not yet gone there, but uh, hopefully after the pandemic. When talking about collagen, uh, I guess that was on a previous show, you said that any molecule larger than 500 Daltons will not penetrate the skin, if I recall correctly. Can you mention some more examples of molecules that will not penetrate the skin because of their size? Will any proteins penetrate the skin? She also follows up with another related question. I wonder about the products from Orf Genetics. They seem to have a lot of rigorous science behind them. Will these growth factors enter the skin? All right, let's talk about molecular size and Daltons. What does that 500 Daltons even mean? Well, Daltons is... This is just a measure of the size of the molecules. And specifically, we're talking about the molecular weight. The notion of this 500 Dalton rule uh, for skin penetration was first uh, published in a paper back in 2000 in a journal of experimental dermatology. They argued that almost all common allergens are those that are smaller than 500 Daltons and molecules that are bigger uh, then are, that ends up being sensitizers because they don't penetrate enough to be allergens. You see, the way an allergic reaction happens is you get uh, an ingredient on you and it's going to penetrate the skin to a certain level. And then and that's going to trigger, I think it's your Langerhans cells, and then that's going to trigger uh, a an allergic reaction, systemic allergic reaction in the rest of your body, or maybe it's local in just that area. But the bottom line is for an allergen to really affect you, it has to penetrate into your skin. So the thing is, all of the allergens that we know of are smaller than this 500 Daltons, whereas we don't know of allergens that are necessarily bigger than this size. What is this molecular size? The way it's calculated is that it's done by adding the molecular weights of all the atoms that are in a molecule. So let's think about water. Water is, everyone knows, H2O. That means it's got two hydrogen atoms and one oxygen atom. So if you added up the molecular weight of those, hydrogens are one. And, and this is just averages. Oxygen is about 16. So 16 plus 1 plus 1, that gives us 18. So water is 18 Daltons, much smaller than 500. So water can certainly penetrate your skin. Of course, I will also add that even small molecules like this are limited in how much they can actually penetrate because 
you know, if they weren't, once you jump into a pool, you would swell up like a pregnant tick. <laughs> and that doesn't happen. So there are other limited things based on it, not just molecular size. There are other things that limit the way that molecules will travel in or can't travel into your body. Okay, now we said on that previous show that collagen was just too big to penetrate. And if you look at the average size of a collagen molecule, it's not surprising. It's around 120,000 Daltons. Now, collagen is actually a polymer, so it has a variety of different lengths. But if you just took the, what happens is you make a, if you, when you buy collagen as a raw material, you have a sample, you take a sample there, and then you characterize the molecular uh, lengths of the polymers. And so the average is going to be 120 Daltons. So much too big to penetrate the skin. So it's going to stay on the surface. And for some of these ingredients that are supposed to have biochemical effects on the cells, if it's just sitting on top of your skin and it's not getting down to the lower levers of the dermis, then it can't possibly even have an effect. It would be like, you know, if you have a wall and you're trying to affect something inside the house through the wall, well, if it can't get through the wall, it doesn't matter what it is, it's, it's, it's not going to have an effect. And that's kind of how that is. If we're thinking about uh, other big molecules that are too big that get a lot of publicity, I suppose, uh, something like hyaluronic acid, which is at least 5,000 Daltons. That's the low molecular weight is the 5,000. So it's 10 times too big to penetrate the skin. And pretty much all of the proteins that are used in cosmetics are going to be larger than 500 Daltons. Or at least any protein that is longer than five amino acids. The average uh, size of a single amino acid is around 110 Daltons. And, you know, Proteins are made up of amino acids, just sort of linked together like Legos. And if once you have like five Legos or amino acids together, it's too big to penetrate the skin anymore. Things like vitamin C, niacinamide, retinol, these are all smaller than uh, 500 Daltons. Uh, in fact, they're under 300 Daltons. So these things can penetrate pretty readily uh, if, if they're uh, bioavailable, as it were. So I hope that gives you an idea of the different molecules and their ability to penetrate. Most of the anti-aging ingredients that get talked about, you know, the growth factors, the ceramides, these things are all just too big. Like ceramides are, a, they're on the edge because the ceramide is around 580 Daltons. So it's a little too big to penetrate on its own, but maybe you can change the formulation and include penetration enhancers, which will make it make it go in there. But the, it, the data on whether ceramides actually help your skin, in my view, is not very robust. And to your other question about ORF genetics, now I looked at their websites and it's very looks very sciencey, and they have a heck of a web designer. Um, but all of these products are based on growth factors, and if you look at the molecular size of those growth factors, they're anywhere from six thousand to fifteen thousand Daltons, and so that suggests to me that no, these these compounds are not going to penetrate your skin, and they're not going to go where the living cells are, and so they're not going to have any any effect on the inside of your skin cells. Uh, they'll So they'll just sit on top of your skin. They'll act like emollients or maybe humectants or something. But uh, other than that, they're not going to have the effect that uh, as they're advertised. Um, so 
this this technology in practice is, is simply a, a fancy, sciencey marketing story, in my opinion. And that's also not to mention that if these growth factors, ingredients did penetrate the skin and they got down there to the dermis and they had drug effects, that would technically make them illegal drugs here in the U.S. So uh, I don't I don't know. I these these seem very pricey and I wouldn't expect uh, great results from them. Okay, next question comes to us from Catherine. Catherine wants to know, which do you think is better? Is it worth it to pay for an over-the-counter glycolic acid product? And then she sends me two examples. Um, said she wants me to comp- uh, she wants us to compare the ordinary seven percent glycolic acid toner to Paula's Choice Skin Perfecting eight percent AAHA gel exfoliant. All right, I'm looking at these ingredient lists. And first of all, there's a lot of ingredients here and a lot of superfluous ingredients. The Ordinary has aloe, uh, it has ginseng root extract, and they have all these fruit extracts, and then it lists all these amino acids. So anyway, uh, a lot of superfluous ingredients that aren't going to have any noticeable effect. And Paula's Choice does this to a little lesser extent, although they have the... Uh, the flower extract, they have camellia, camellia leaf extract, aloe. So, yeah, they put in their amount of them. I mean, you know, companies need to put these marketing ingredients in it because if the product is just water, glycolic acid, and glycerin, you know, <laughs> consumers are find that less appealing than something that has a ton of other ingredients in there, even though those other ingredients aren't having much effect. But I digress. Which one of these products is better? And I... What's better is it's really tough to say. That's because what you think is better, it really highly depends on your personal preference. Now, if on a blinded basis, I had these two formulas in the same packaging, and if I smelled them, they kind of smelled the same, and they had kind of the same texture, honestly, I don't think I'd be able to tell much different in terms of how the products worked. And I don't think you or the average consumer will be able to notice any sort of performance different. If something has says it has 7% glycolic acid and something has 8%, you're not going to be able to tell the 1% difference there. You just can't you just can't tell. We're 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 not very good at noticing very subtle difference. Now, if it was between 1% and 8%, maybe you would notice that large difference, but you know, it's also possible you wouldn't notice the, between, the difference between zero and eight percent. So I don't know. It just depends on the formula. But I will say, there's no way you're going to be able to tell the difference between seven and eight percent. So the number there is, I would say, just mostly for marketing reasons. And it's easier, if, you know, you get a marketing leverage by making your product with a higher number. Eight's higher than seven, so the eight must be better. And so maybe you can charge more. This happens all the time with beauty products because. When they're marketing something, you know, one company will come out and says, oh, this makes your hair two times stronger. And so what happens is the, the, the other company that's making a product, they say, oh, they're saying two times stronger. Can we do more? And so the R&D people will try to think of the claim and they'll think of some way you could demonstrate. It. And next up, you come with the this one is 10 times stronger. And so people say 10 times is better than two times. And so let's buy the 10 times. So there's a whole big numbers game that goes on in cosmetic claims. They don't really mean a lot. Those num- I'm not saying that companies are lying with these numbers. They, the numbers are 
certainly they've done studies or most people have done studies. They're big companies anyway. I'm not sure about small companies and they may or not. Anyway, they have done a study that demonstrates that they're not lying with the numbers, but the numbers might not mean anything in a case between seven and eight percent glycolic acid. It's highly unlikely you'll notice any differences. Now, both of these products have ingredient lists that are mostly fluff, as I said. The ordinary product, uh, it's really just water, glycerin, some humectants, and preservative. They have some flower waters in there, so those might give you some different fragrance, so it might smell better. The Paula's Choice one, uh, you know, has water, glycolic acid, has, you know, well, I guess that's pretty much it. I mean, it has some, also some humectants in it. So, very similar. Now, they have different thickening systems. Ordinary uses a gel and gum, where Paula's Choice uses a hydroxyethyl cellulose. I'd prefer the cellulose thickener myself. Sometimes the gums feel too mushy or something like that. But again, this is a personal taste. So what it really comes down to is which of these products is less expensive. Now, I saw the Paula's Choice product was about three ounces for $30. So that means you're paying $10 an ounce. The ordinary product, on the other hand, is $8 for eight ounces or $1 an ounce. And so based on pricing, looks like to me the ordinary wins out in terms of value. So is the product worth it? The ordinary one might be worth trying out. It's only a dollar an ounce. That's not bad. And whether over-the-counter glycolic acid products are worth using, I don't know. They have potential to have some benefits, so maybe you might find benefit out of it. And if you don't, uh, there's no reason really to go up to the much more expensive uh, Paula's Choice product unless you like the product. But as far as working on a blinded basis, I would expect the ordinary to work every bit as good as the Paula's Choice one. Next question comes to us from Brianna. She says, I'd love to get your opinion on these herbal infused oil-based products like Vintner's Daughter Active Biotanical Treatment Serum or any of Anne Marie Gianna's facial oils. I thought that essential minerals were salts and because of this, they are insoluble in oil. I'm curious to know about these herbal efficacies of herbal infused facial oils delivering essential vitamins and minerals Locating any real research has been difficult. <laughs> All right. Well, I'm just going to admit. So I, I went over the websites and I, and I looked at the products that were referenced there. And they didn't have proper labeling. So it was difficult to know what's what's really in the product or what's just marketing. You know, most of it is just a very pretty website, I will say. But overall, I'm not a big fan of these herbal infused oil-based products. Uh, And the ones that you link specifically, I I find those a little bit problematic and I'll I'll tell you some main problems. So the the main problem that I have is if you look at these products, there are just way too many ingredients. I mean, 30 plus ingredients. Cosmetic marketers, come over here. Uh, just, Just a second. There's no reason to include this many ingredients. It just increases the chance that somebody is going to have an allergic reaction to something. It's just, there's just no good reason to do this. I I know it gives you lots of marketing stories to talk about, lots of ingredients to talk about. But if your compounder was making this batch, you know, 
a thousand gallons or something and they forgot to add one of the ingredients, no one is going to notice a difference. So the bottom line is there's just way too many ingredients in these. It's just excessive. Now, there can't possibly be a benefit that all of these ingredients are providing sesame oil, sunflower oil, pepe oil. All of these ingredients are essentially doing the same thing. Sunflower oil has almost the same uh, uh, almost the same molecular composition as something like uh, like sesame oil, for example. That's very they're, they're all hydrocarbons. They have uh, it's not exactly the same, but as far as it's going to affect you and your consumer noticing, you're not going to notice a difference. These ingredients all provide emolliency, and they do it all in the same way. They're just hydrocarbons, and they have a certain length, and you know, that's that's how they work. So mixing them all together is it's just pointless, ex- except for the marketing story. In fact, if you just took sunflower oil and maybe just one other oil, I bet you could make a product that works in no perceptibly different way than both of the listed products. I have to say, I encourage a philosophy of minimalist formulating and both for when people are making products and also for you as a consumer when you're using products. And I encourage this for a number of reasons. First, the more ingredients that are put into a formula, you're going to expose consumers to more chemicals, which drastically increases the chances that uh, they're going to experience some sort of allergic reaction. It's all about the allergic reaction or the sensitivity. Natural ingredients are no better or worse, and in fact, they're often worse as far as allergens go, uh, than, say, synthetic ingredients. In fact, natural ingredients harbor some of the most allergy-inducing chemicals of anything that we know. So the more natural stuff, natural oils that you're putting in your products, the more of a chance your one of your consumers is going to have a bad reaction or you as a user is going to have a bad reaction. And the thing is, you're not going to know what what is causing this because hidden inside of all of these natural oils and natural components are hundreds of different chemicals, many of which we don't even know what they are because you haven't characterized what is the chemical composition of that ingredient or so. So the more of these natural ingredients you have in there, the higher chance that there could be a problem. There's also this idea that more ingredients can actually lead to a higher cost, but when you're not providing any additional benefits, what's the point? So if you left out an ingredient, that would make it less expensive for consumers, less expensive to make. And so from that standpoint, minimalism is is just better. Less ingredients, lower cost. More ingredients also represents a greater impact on the environment. Rather than getting economies of scale by growing just a few crops, numerous crops have to be produced just to make one single crop. And in my view, this is very wasteful, especially when you're not getting any noticeable benefit from that. So this is a big problem. There are other reasons, but those are my main ones. And I would also say that in looking at these two brands, sort of on a whole different topic, they follow the subscription model. I have to say, as far as beauty products go, the subscription model to me seems... Uh, seems wasteful for most people. Now, if you just happen to use the product up and at the end of the month, oh, here's my new thing, then you just keep using it, that's great. But that that rarely happens. I mean, I think of the products that I have or that my wife has, and you don't don't run out of them 
uh, very consistently, at least once a month or whatever, <laughs> as they send them. I don't know. May- maybe I'm maybe I'm off. Uh, maybe you, as a consumer, maybe you have the same routine that you use, and that would be convenient for you. I personally don't like the subscription strategy. It often will send people products that they don't quite need. Uh, And also, these companies usually make it very difficult to cancel your subscription, which makes it it also very problematic. Um, So based on those things, uh, I don't don't encourage you to ascribe to subscription model beauty products because you can get the same products, go to the store. It's not like you don't go to the store to get groceries or go to the grocery store, you can get products. So, anyway, that's, all right, enough ranting about subscription products. And speaking of enough ranting, I think I filled up a pretty decent amount of show. You're probably tired of listening to me, so I'm going to sign off today. Thank you so much for listening. Thank you to all of our patrons. Uh, the Beauty Brains are on Patreon. If you want to support the show, go to patreon.com slash thebeautybrains and subscribe at any level. Your subscription helps keep uh, the ads out of the show. And, you know, I firmly believe that while you can you can have an objective opinion while still taking ads and promoting beauty products, I don't think you can be completely unbiased because there are, there are a lot of um, sources out there who have opinions about beauty products, and that's great. But once you have an opinion that sort of goes against a company that might be paying you uh, either in a, uh, an affiliate percentage or they're paying you for an ad, even if you're going to say, well, I'm not influenced by that, uh, you're influenced by that. And so when we follow the model of only funding the show through Patreon, through donations for the audience, you can bet that we are as unbiased as you can get. Now, if you had a chance, go over to Apple Podcasts and leave us a review, uh, or Spotify has a review thing too. Go there. That's going to help other people find the show and ensure that we have a full docket of beauty questions to answer. And also follow us on our various social media accounts. On Instagram, we're at the Beauty Brains 2018. On Twitter, we're at the Beauty Brains. And we have a Facebook page and we have a TikTok page. I think it's the Beauty Brains 1 or something like that. I We haven't posted anything, so, so you can follow us. There isn't anything there yet. But maybe in 2022, one of my new goals will be that there will be. Thanks again for listening. And Valerie will be back next week to tell you to remember... Be brainy about your beauty. Thanks, everyone. Kittens. And now something I hope you'll really enjoy. There used to be a porch kitty. And every morning she would come and get some food from me. But then I went on vacation She didn't know if I was ever coming back And now she's gone She no longer visits me She hit the road she could see not coming back and it's a tragedy that porch kitty no longer visits